Welcome to the Hail to the District podcast with your host, Rajan Nanavati. All right, so I'm pleased to be joined by NFL insider and uh, growing emerging uh, Twitter personality, Chad Forbes, whom you can find on Twitter at NFL Draft Bites, NFL Draft B-I-T-E-S. Um, for those of you who are not familiar, Chad's amassed a really respectable following, uh, justifiably so, because he's an awesome resource for NFL inside info and analysis. And uh, he's actually great with interacting with other people on Twitter and answering questions, unlike most of the NFL insiders who kind of tend to hoard information and, you know, hold themselves up on a pedestal a little bit. So that just confirms the fact that he's an awesome follow. And uh, with all that being said, Chad, thank you so much for joining and uh, looking forward to the conversation. It's great to be back. 16 days till the draft. So it's an exciting time. I know, I know. It's 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 funny. It kind of crept up. You're like, oh, it's it's, it's a little far away, and uh, and they're like, holy shit, as you said, it's just over two weeks away. So, um, without further ado, in that case, given that this is a Washington D.C. based sports podcast, um, we should definitely start at number nineteen, or maybe somewhere else. Will they maybe end up picking up come Thursday, uh, sixteen days from now, with the Washington football team? So, um, there's a couple of different thoughts. I want or a couple of different directions i want to get your thoughts on let's start with this one um and you you've alluded to this in a few of your tweets so i wanted to kind of get your thoughts and elaboration on it what do you think is a likelihood that they do make a trade up into the top 10 maybe into the top five for one of the big four or five quarterbacks however you choose to look at it let's just start there don't see it happening yeah. There's probably one out of the group they like and that's a cluster of five quarterbacks you know lawrence wilson should be gone so as you said earlier, the draft starts at three, and I, I don't see it happening. Ultimately, I think they're going to explore it, and you know, potentially, I think Detroit and uh, right in the head of Denver. There, that's kind of the pivot point where you could see a team move up for one of the fourth quarterbacks. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, and I definitely want to talk more about San Francisco at three because, as you said, the draft starts at three. Um, you know, Trey Lance is the name that's been mentioned. I know Mike Lombardi, former NFL general manager, he has connected Washington to Trey Lance. Um, I am of the opinion, that, similar to you, that you know they would love the idea in theory, but I don't think they have the ammunition or, um, you know, it's. Uh, I don't think at the point where they can trade up in the draft to go get him, I don't think um, he's going to be available. I actually don't think he's going to make it past three or four. You know, you know I, I think Lance goes three. That's just my perspective. And then where either Fields or Lance goes, or I don't see Mac Jones going third overall. I'm but, so glad you, you said know, when that. It gets- Good. You know, I think it's a lot of hype, agent-driven stuff this time of year, kind of pumping the stock of Mac Jones. But if you're Kyle Shanahan, I don't think you trade up to three, giving up what he did to take a guy who has kind of a large marginal skill set in terms of just pure talent. And uh, he's got a little bit of time, and he can develop a guy, and he obviously is under contract in the four or five years, and very respected. I mean, as I said on Twitter, if he ever did get fired, um, you know, he's going to land a job either in the NFL in five minutes or he'll go back to Texas where he's alma mater for a raise. So, he doesn't have to be conservative where there's other teams that, you know, their, their general manager doesn't exactly, or head coach doesn't have the same kind of, I guess, uh, job certainty into the future. So I don't see him. I think he's going to swing pretty hard. Either it's Justin Fields or Trey Lance there. Trey. If you had to handicap it, not holding your feet to the fire, but I, and the reason I'm asking you this question is because I was pretty adamant myself, even before I listened to anyone else, that he traded up to go get Trey Lance. But I'm curious that if you, if you had to predict 16 days out, whether it's Trey Lance or Justin Fields, who would you think he's, they're taking? If you had spoken to people when Arthur Smith got the job in Atlanta, it was all about, oh, well, they take Justin Fields if he's available, the local guy. And everybody you spoke to said, no, he'll like Trey Lance more. And so I think if you're San Francisco, the reason you're moving up to the three is A, to box somebody out from getting into that slot, knowing it's available, but also because you think that Atlanta, if the quarterback they do like got there, they'd take him. 
And we know that's not Mac Jones, and I don't think it's Justin Fields. So I, I really just see they went up to for Trey Lance, and that's pivoting back to the idea of, you know, what will Washington do? If Trey Lance somehow doesn't go three and he gets down to seven or eight, maybe he's the quarterback they're infatuated with and they go up. But I, I just don't see them going up for Justin Fields or a Mac Jones if they're there at seven or eight with the Panthers and the Lions. Yeah, I, 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 I'm in agreement with you. I think um, exactly to your point, if, if, if uh, Trey Lance doesn't go three, I think he goes four to Atlanta. But I actually, now that you've mentioned that, so we'll put a button on it. So let's say San Francisco, in your opinion, drafts Lance, just to say they go in that direction. You think they'll kind of quote unquote redshirt him and roll with Jimmy? Because I know that marriage is obviously on rocky uh, ground right now. So what do you think their long-term plan would be? Or I shouldn't even say long-term, their short-term plan would be between Lance and handsome Jimmy. Uh, Jimmy's owed $23.8 million uh, in, this, in this next season, and that becomes guaranteed by September 1st. So they don't have to move off of Jimmy until then. And that gives them a little bit of leverage to say, we need you to take a pay cut and potentially convert some of his base salary into not likely to burn per game incentives or, or something like that. So I think the financial discussion is still there. And he's also got a no trade clause. So if you want to move into like a Chicago or the Patriots, and maybe he could say yes or no to one of those teams. So I just think that if they go with Lance, maybe they try to bring Jimmy Garoppolo back, but also they got to get Lance into camp and see what they've gotten him. And, and I just think it'd be a lot smarter with that $23.8 million considering you can't really trust Jimmy to stay healthy. You know, why not get a deal with, like, the Bears where he negotiates and he has a pretty significant pay cut and you ship him there and maybe you bring in an Andy Dalton who's making $3 bucks, and, and you kind of redshirt Lance behind Dalton until he's ready. So I just don't think you can redshirt him with a $23.8 million salary they have they want to you know extend in the future starting with Bosa and Fred Warner Dre Greenlaw so that's just my perspective on role yeah it's funny you mentioned New England I've I've always laughed at that end game where Jimmy Garoppolo goes back because I I will die on the hill that uh, Bill Belichick did not want to trade Jimmy Garoppolo and that was kind of forced by other factors over there and that that trade happened so you know I I think the Patriots are sitting there at 15 without the extra they have a third round pick for the comp pick 96 Yep, but they got their you know their pick taken away from that Spygate issue. So they're going to have to if they wanted to go up, they probably couldn't do what San Francisco did to get to three. But I think they're sitting there pretty comfortable saying Fields or Mac Jones. I think they like one of them, and I do believe it's Mac Jones is going to get to the Lions and Panthers at eight, and then we'll probably either go up there or potentially if it's Mac Jones that we like, I don't think he's going to go to Denver. So maybe we can wait a little bit and maybe go into like eleven or twelve to get Mac Jones. So. Maybe they'll be able to move up at a discount and get their, you know, their young quarterback instead of, uh, instead of swing like the 49ers did. So let's jump back a little bit because I, t- I started talking about it, but I got off on tangent with San Francisco. So let's hypothetically say that Lance goes three. Atlanta's sitting there at four. Now Atlanta's potentially sitting around the what people are connecting dots with taking Justin Fields at four. I'm in agreement with you. I don't know that that's necessarily the layup. Or the other idea would be to take Kyle Pitts and give uh, – Matt Ryan, you know, one more weapon to work with as his, you know, contract, although he just extended, but, you know, in the the twilight of his career, however you want to phrase it. There's a new philosophy with first-year general managers and head coaches where establish the culture, get the long-term contract from the owner, and find your quarterback at the appropriate time. That's kind of what's happening in Carolina right now. So they've got Matt Ryan. They're they're stuck with him and Julio on an aging roster for at least the next two years. They've got six-year contracts. They're desperately trying to get out of fourth overall. And the draft pick doesn't line up for them because they need a lot of depth and, and help on defense. And there's no real defensive player, I think, worth a top 10 pick unless maybe you fall in love with like a certain or one of the pass rushers. So Atlanta wants to get out of four. And what they're realizing is that the teams that now are kind of in the quarterback market, be it Denver, 
and New England have said, we don't have to give up a lot to trade up for our guy. Let Atlanta sit there, and if they, they're not going to pick the guy. We just saw them restructure the Matt Ryan contract. Yep. So if Lance, Lance could go for but I think the other teams are sitting there and saying, we'll wait patiently. And the Falcons are starting to pivot to saying, who wants Kyle Pitts and who wants Penny Sewell? Do you guys want to come up? Yeah, and Sewell's an interesting character. It's funny that you mentioned him. Like Pitts is the hot name. He's the he's the one that everyone's talking about, and I should say every fan base is talking about that they want their team to draft him. Whether that happens is different. But Sewell, a lot of people would have thought this was preposterous two months ago. But I could we could legitimately see him take a tumble down the top ten. You know, be available at Carolina at eight, maybe even Dallas at ten. God forbid, maybe even the Giants at eleven. Um, it's, it's he's an interesting character right now, um, especially because people are questioning whether he's a tackle or whether he's a guard. Um, I think he's a fascinating case. And I think he'll he his potential. Yeah, I think I think there's no question he could play tackle, and okay. I'm I'm hearing that discussion too. And I think I think it's just all kind of talk. Okay. And what I say is, if Penny Sewell somehow got to the Lions at seven, the Chargers are coming up for him. I mean, <laughs> they, they want Penny Sewell if he gets past the Bengals. So, you know, I, I don't see how Cincinnati could pass on him, given you know the situation with Joe Burrow, but. Maybe they do surprise us and go with Jamar Chase. As an objective football fan, I don't really have a dog in the race with, with Cincinnati, but for the love of God, please protect Joe Burrow. You can't take a wide receiver if Joe Burrow is going to be on his ass. We already saw what happened, ironically, against Washington. Um, yeah, so you've, we talked a little bit about that. And I mean, the, another team that you've alluded to, and I haven't heard any buzz about them they're in, outside of what they did with Sam Darnold, obviously, is Carolina. And... I, in my mock, for whatever it's worth, which is nothing, I had Kyle Pitts falling there. Um, but they are another team you've pegged as a potential mover, and you've alluded to it already. Yeah, you know, what, what those guys have said off the record is that we gave up a lot to get Sam in terms of future picks, but we'll get those picks back on the, in the draft. Stop that are their new general manager. Come from Seattle with a pretty well versus and sliding down the board. And if Mac Jones gets there, they're going to move down, or maybe they're moving out Justin Fields is there with like a team like the Bears that wants to come up, and, and they'll get back to future picks. So you know, I, I think that they just basically said we're going to take a pass on this quarterback group. We, we, I think they did their homework and said Trey Lance is going to go three. We don't want to trade up for Fields or Mac Jones. Why don't we just get Sam Donald? Do you think if they don't find a deal they like, whether it's before the draft or whether it's on draft night, if they sit there at eight – um, and let's say Pitts is gone for whatever reason. Everyone kind of points to tackle. You've mentioned this in previous tweets in the past. I've heard Rashawn Slater's name at eight come up a few times, again, theoretically, even before Penny Sewell, and I'm curious to get your thoughts if that's, a, if that's really a thing or not. Yeah, if you look at the way that Scott Federer and they've evaluated tackles when he was in Seattle, length is really important, and there's some concern that Slater might be a guard. I bet they prefer Christian Darris on the tackle from Virginia Tech because they view him as a guy that can definitely sit in left tackle. And he kind of reminds you of Russell O'Kung or a Dwayne Brown in terms of the way he plays the game. I was going to say Dwayne Brown, not to kind of pigeonhole him as another Virginia Tech guy, but he was, he's a very good comp for Darisaw. So that, that does make a lot of sense. Um, do you think you alluded to this at some point previously, if, I, if my memory serves me correctly, but could there's a couple of teams who could make a big jump into the top 10. You tied them to the Panthers, but maybe a team like Chicago, a team like New Orleans. I know New Orleans is not hell bent on offensive linemen, but I know Chicago is from everything you read. Do you think we could see a team, I know I'm kind of going a little off the reels here, but since we're tying to Carolina, make a big jump like that? The talk around the league is there are three teams that could make the big you know, swing to move up. Really four. Some people speculate the Raiders, but I ultimately don't see them doing it. I think they'll stick with Carr, but it's uh, Washington at 19, Chicago at 20, and then even the Saints 
all the way down at 28. I've really been doing a lot of work on the homework on the quarterbacks. And back to the Panthers' objective of you know, gathering back the picks that they gave up to get Darnold. And the idea that, you know, Ryan Pace, the general manager in Chicago, is pretty much on the hot seat. I think he'd be willing to move from 20 up to eight if he could hang on to his second and third round picks and just trade away potentially his successor's picks in the process. So I think the Panthers and the Bears make a natural dance partner. Ryan Pace is the cat with nine lives. How that guy survived with the job for this long is incredible. I mean, that guy. It's amazing. His, his draft record is as, as egregious as, as anybody's you can stack up uh, with that still has a job in the NFL, and it's incredible. Um, that guy's a tap-dancing um, savant. Um, yeah, I, I, as I was saying earlier, I mean, the flashpoints at four, I mean, three, four, and then Carolina, the, they're very good about keeping their cards close to the best, for the, by and large. You know, those will be, the, and especially when it comes to trades, where things kind of get shaken up. And then as we move, well, so Denver, I think, is another interesting case, not to kind of go one by one, right? But Denver's, from what I have read, is they're hoping that, let's say, one of the big four, not including Matt Jones, quarterbacks falls, let's say it's Justin Fields. They're ready to take him at nine because the new general manager has no ties to Drew Locke. Yeah, and, you know, I think they hired the new general manager and he got – the title, but Elway still carries a lot of weight in that building. And he might be probably the only Drew Locke supporter left on the planet. You know, it's kind of like the giant situation in uh, with, Dave, with uh, Daniel Jones. You know, the only people left that probably think he can become a franchise quarterback is Dave Gettleman. Well, that's the same in Denver with John Elway and Drew Locke. So, you know, I think they'll be patient and just sit there and wait and see what shakes out and falls to them. And, you know, I've even heard they could move down, which, you know, I, I really don't understand. I think that if Justin Fields gets there, that, that's, that's a natural fit. You mentioned the Giants, so I'm going to jump to them, although I may come back to the Cowboys at 10, but I want to jump to them because they're another team I haven't been able to peg based off of my reading and just kind of connecting the dots and reading the tea leaves and all those, uh, all those cliches. But, um, you know, a lot of people are tying Micah Parsons there. I don't see it based off Dave Gettleman's draft history per se. A lot of Giants fans want another wide receiver. Although, you know, they've done a good job, particularly signing Kenny Galladay to that big fat contract. Pass rusher is always in play. And then with Dave Gettleman, you always have to assume somebody on the trenches is in play. So somebody who's close to New York like you are, what are you thinking and hearing about this pick? Yeah, I think they're looking at Rashawn Slater and saying he's an answer at guard. Uh, do we want to take a guard 11th overall? Let's look at the board horizontally and say what guard will be there for us at 42 and 76. And doing their homework on guys like Aaron Banks from Notre Dame, Wyatt Davis, Ohio State. And then they're doing the same thing with the pass rusher. And they're saying, if we pass on a pass rusher here at 11, what gets to us in round two? And, and just looking at the league, you don't find pass rushers in round two often. So I think they're probably gravitating towards we have to take a pass rusher at 11 or we're not going to get that, that hole fixed. And uh, then I think, yeah, the Alabama wide receivers will definitely intrigue them. You know, I think they probably did enough to address their wide receiving core. I know they don't love Sterling Shepard, but they're still stuck to that contract for another season. You know, same with Evan Ingram. So, you know, you can take a wide receiver, but the reason they're picking 11th is because, you know, they don't, they don't have pass rushers and, and they need one. So I think Ajawari, the Georgia pass rusher, makes a lot of sense. You don't think they have the guts to do it, but Jalen Phillips might be the best pass rusher in the draft. And his teammate at Miami, Greg Rousseau, is really exceptional. But I think they're going to go like they did last year with the guy they perceive as safe. And that, to me, would be Aziz Ajawari. Yeah, Aziz Ajawari is interesting because, like, he has the comp I have from is like, really watered group really really watered down von miller type of pass rusher and i wonder if that fits what gettleman is looking for with the caveat of course that they have to get somebody to rush the passer because they don't really have anyone in that mold on the team yeah i'd say dave has evolved significantly except for he loves the big body defensive tackles in the middle of that defense 
But in terms of what he's looking for in this new system, it's not the Giants 4-3, which you know was invented there in New York back in the 1950s with Tom Landry. They're playing more of kind of an odd front defense. I don't call it a 3-4 because it's really just an odd front in terms of how they line up the gaps. And just looking kind of the way Tampa Bay played, where they had the big guys in the middle that could push the pocket and get the quarterback off the spot, and then they had the bendy pass rusher in Shaq Barrett. If you wanted that guy in this draft, he's got the most bend. It also has the versatility to kind of drop and move around. It's Aziz, the Georgia pass rusher. I also think Jason Owee would really intrigue them because anybody that's, you know, 6'5", 255 and runs a 4'3", has got to, you know, got to be interesting if you're uh, the Giants. Yeah. You mentioned the Bama wide receivers. Let's let's use that as a topic because um, I'm also curious. Devontae Smith, I mean, last season was one of the most incredible receivers receiver seasons from a college football player we've seen in God knows how long. But there's the one-year wonder question. There's the medicals. There's the size, of course, question. Where do you think is his floor or or even ceiling, for that matter, in terms of where he could go in the first round? You know, wide receivers gone a little bit of the way that running back. And as you said, Kenny Galladay's got paid. He was in a late third-round pick. DK Metcalf, second round. A.J. Brown, same spot. So, Teams are starting to realize that we can get wide receivers really, you know, anywhere in the draft in the top, you know, 150. So the wide receiver position, especially guys, if they're not Calvin Johnson, you know, it's like you can't take them in the top 10. You're, you're picking there because you're a bad team that have tackles, pass rushers, and cover corners, quarterbacks. So I don't think the guys are going to go in. I think Jamar Chase goes to Miami at six or the Bengals at five. And then, you know, you could see a little bit of a fall for the Bama wide receivers. And I think Philly is kind of where the conversation starts. If all the offensive linemen are gone, say Darisaw, uh, Darisaw, Sewell, and Slater are gone, the Chargers maybe can you know, say, oh, Waddle's the best player available. But I, you know, I could see Waddle and Smith, who both have kind of durability questions, falling down to 12 to 16 range. I'm so glad you mentioned Darisaw, by the way, and like in this general range, because like a lot of Washington fans are like, no, no, Washington is going to stay at 19 and draft Darisaw. They've been saying since January, like Darisaw is not making it past 14 at Minnesota or 17 at Oakland or any of those. Like he's just not going to be there. So let's stop pipe dreaming about this. So I'm glad we're on the same page about this. I, I banged that table repeatedly. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. I think Waddle is like that. The fact that he got injured, he, I think he only played three games last year for them. And he, you know, he obviously had that season ender, ender um, Smith again, the size questions like a buck 70 at best. So it's interesting. Cause like you have the, the sex appeal and you have the, the potential, but then you also have like, all right, well, you have to look at the red flags and those are significant. Well, let's just put a hypothetical, right? If you say the Detroit Lions picking at seven, just imagine they have a tackle. I mean, I, do, I believe they do. In the first round, you can take Darasar or Sewell if he makes it there, maybe Slater if he's your cup of tea, right? And then in the, or, or, and then in the second round, you can take one of Diami Brown, Elijah Moore, Ron Delmore, maybe Terrace Marshall gets there, maybe trade up slightly for Kadarius Toney. Or you could take one of those wide receivers, the Alabama kid or Chase in the first round. And then the tackles you'll probably be having down to you at 42 are like a Sam Cosme from Texas, Walker Little, Spencer Brown. So if you're going to line these things up, would you rather have Elijah Moore and Darasaw or – Sam Cosme and Jalen Waddle. It's just that's how teams are starting to look at the board and say, we can get a guy that can help us as a wide receiver in round two, but the tackle we find there might be a bit of a gamble. I would not be surprised if Tony falls. I don't. I don't think ill of Tony. I think he's an awesome. He's a fun player. But like, I could see Tony falling. You mentioned trading up. I, I could see him falling to like what thirty nine or forty, wherever they would pick in the second round. I could see Rashad Bateman falling into that range. So I'm. In yeah, I, I think logic. Bateman's going around two. Yeah. Bateman's going around two. I think he actually goes i have around three grade on him i just don't love the player but i think the darius tony's gonna be really interesting if yeah. he gets past jacksonville twice 
25 and 33, the entire league's going to say, oh, gosh, because Urban Meyer is not exactly the most discerning guy when it comes to, you know, some character and maturity questions, and he loves explosiveness. And there's medical questions there. So if he passes on Tony twice, the local guy, I think the league's going to say, wow, that's surprising. And it's another factor, and we're going to talk about the counterpart of this on defense, but Tony is one of those guys where teams are going to be like, what is he? Because is he, just, is he a slot receiver? Is he glorified Cordero Patterson, right? I mean, I know he's a little smaller than that, but like, what do you play him as? He didn't really run a route tree at Florida, right? Outside of kind of just doing stuff out of the slot. No, he was amazing out of the slot and he was incredible. He's got very Percy Harvin, like, you know, potential, but Harvin durability issues aside, which also carry around to, uh, to uh, Tony, um, was never like your true wide receiver, quote unquote, like in your textbook, uh, example. Yeah, I think he's kind of like a, in, in terms of his fit in an NFL offense. It's Debo Samuel. Yeah, kind of a movement slot that you know does a little bit of everything for you. I don't think he's as physical after the catch as Debo, but he's probably more naturally explosive. So he's a great player. You know, I love him, but I, I just think you really have to be comfortable with his maturity and the medical. So the another kind of where do you play in position? His counterpart on defense, who is almost certainly going to be a first round pick and kind of a local guy ish from Virginia beach over here, Jeremiah Usikormo from Notre Dame, another popular name among Washington faithful. Um, you could see him. I have seen people talk about him as, you know, as high as nine or 11, you know, to the mid twenties. Um, you made a great comp for him to, in terms of like Isaiah Simmons and the questions and the, fit questions we had about him last year. I'm curious to get your thoughts kind of elaborating on that. Yeah. You know, I think people are saying around the league that he's probably like a fit more of a quarters, quarters based defense, which is pretty popular right now in terms of he's like more of like a safety in the base package that comes down as your sub package linebacker. But in a place like DC, I think he just fits as kind of like a weak side linebacker in a Thomas Davis role, because with that defensive line, you're going to be able to protect him from offensive linemen. So you know, I think the teams that are sitting behind Washington at 19th, they might covet him, could be like the Browns at 26 who have two third-round picks. So I think those teams are looking at it and saying, if we really love this guy, we probably got to get ahead of D.C. And, and he's really the odds-on favorite to go there at 19. And, you know, what I've said is that if you really love him, why don't you start looking at the board horizontally and say, what could we get in round three? It's a similar player. So I bring up a guy like Devon Diablo as an alternative. So it's tough. It's really all about does Jack Dovrio think he can fit into the system and, I, you know, nobody will know that until the draft. That's why we're watching, right? Yeah. And the Jack Del Rio versus Ron Rivera, not dichotomy, because at the end of the day, it's Del Rio's defense, but Ron Rivera's team. But, like, everyone points to the fact that you alluded to Thomas Davis and then, you know, Shaq Thompson over there and stuff like that. And they're like, okay, well, they have a – in theory, they have an idea for that role. But us Washington fans will tell you our linebacker position was just such a shit show last year that any injection of talent would be more than welcome. Um, right, and, and you can tell they're going to address it the way they haven't they haven't done anything in free agency. They're bringing Bostic back and Cole Holcomb, so it's uh, it's pretty clear that that's a draft priority. That left tackle is clearly a focus, and then I think at some point they're probably going to have to think about swinging on a quarterback and on another corner. Developmental quarterback has been a big, big buzzword in Washington, and you've touched on this a little bit as well. So let's use that as a segue. Um, a lot of people said, a lot of people who are like the local beat writers have said, expect Washington to develop to draft a developmental quarterback. In what round is the operative question? Um, Washington fans love the name Kyle Trask. I don't, but that's not that's neither here nor there for the purposes of this. Um, you've mentioned another one who has kind of generated a little buzz over here, and that's Kellen Mond from Texas A&M. 
And I'm curious if that's kind of connecting the dots or if you feel like he fits anything in terms of what we're trying to do here or anything else. It reminds me of Dak Prescott and highly experienced SEC quarterback has some issues with his throwing motion that can, can be pretty easily fixed. He holds the ball way too high, which doesn't let him take advantage of his athletic ability or drive the football. So he needs a little bit of development time. And I, you know, I would think about him at 52 if he got there, but I'd probably be going to trade up for my left tackle at the top of round two. So that would be my move. I really like Alex Leatherwood and his fit in DC. And then, so where does Mon, where, how do you get him? I think you probably have to get ahead of the Saints who are picking at 60 with the Browns to, to make sure you got him. And the way I say it is, look, you can miss on day two and day three developmental quarterbacks all the time. But they've got the right guy in Fitzpatrick to let him develop pretty slowly. And if you hit on him, given the talent that's already on the roster, um, you kind of be in a situation where the Seahawks were when they got Russell Wilson. And that's you'd have a quarterback you're paying like you know, two million bucks a year for the next four, three, four years, and you can keep basically the whole team intact and continue to add, and you know potentially really take advantage of the quarterback on the rookie contract. And I just think you know you got the extra pick from the Trent Williams trade at 74. I'd be really thinking about Callan Mond and seeing if uh, Scott Turner can keep develop into you know a quarterback that can really win in both phases, running the ball and throwing it down. And I think it'll be a really good fit in terms of what Scott what Scott Turner is trying to do here, mobile quarterback. It's a lot of timing base. It's a lot of spread the field, lateral movements, get, you know, misdirection on the offense, get everybody going one way and kind of leak one guy and out the other. They did a ton of that. I mean, they made the patchwork group of Washington quarterbacks at least competent enough to get a seven to nine record. So imagine if they had a little more talent um, than what they did, than what they did trot out last year. Um, Absolutely. 100% on, on that page with you. So one other linebacker who is another um, lightning rod, if you will, especially kind of somewhere in the top 20, he could go as, I mean, I don't think he's going to go that high, but he could just go as high as like seven, probably seven is very legitimate to, I don't know, late teens, early twenties. Micah Parsons from Penn state. I've been, I keep banging the drum that NFL teams are going to question the maturity concerns much more than the common fan is much the common fan, especially the Penn state alumni, they will be very quick to tell you that those are completely overblown. I see it the exact other way around. And I'm curious to hear what you're thinking. I, I don't think it's, he's a bad kid. I just think he's very immature. And you know, you've had for three or four years there, the situation with Reuben Foster, you just haven't been able to get him, you know, focused on football. And that was obviously more just like actually a criminal issue and medical. So with Parsons, it's just, you know, how do you feel about, how do you feel about him? And I think opinions are all over the board. You know, you hear seven, I don't see Detroit going there. You know, I think the conversation, he didn't end up getting past, you know, into the range of the of DC. And he, I think they'd pass on him. Um, I, do I go well. back and forth on it. And uh, I just think they're pretty, pretty focused on just the culture and what they're building there. And so I, you know, I, I don't, I don't see them taking him, and I think ultimately the Browns probably trade up to get Mika Parsons. Do you, from what you've heard and what from people that you know, does the hazing allegation or the potential, for lack of a better description or more eloquent description, sexual misconduct or whatever it was, not with, you know, that happened in the locker room over there? Do teams are teams talking about that, or is it much more just a bigger picture of immaturity? Well, those are the byproduct of the maturity, right? Mm-hmm. Issues. It's just the way that he lives his life and, you know, who he is as a young man that people aren't comfortable with. And, and the linebacker, middle linebacker position, he's going to be calling your defense. He's going to need to be kind of one of the first defensive guys in the building. And 
Um, you know, I think part of the reason you keep around a guy like John Bostic, he does have some limitations, is if you did inject that type of personality into the locker room, he'd be a great mentor. And, you know, the sexual misconduct stuff, just given what's gone on in the, you know, the organization for the past year here, it's just tough for them to, to make that pick and then, you know, justify it to the local media. Yeah. So I think they would pass on him, and you know I think they could, you know I think Del Rio probably pound the table for him, but that's just how I do it. I, from an on-field talent, there's and from an athletic profile talent, there's plenty of reasons to bang the table. But I agree with you, and I made a point in a previous conversation we had that like, look, we just got done with the Dwayne Haskins maturity fiasco. Why would we add another headache to this locker room? I think Ron Rivera was very much good riddance to bad luggage with one why potentially you know and add another you know bomb into the situation so um that was my thought um i'll get you out of here i have one or two more topic thoughts i want to get you on but another kind of wild card team in the top 20 who they're going all over the board um the raiders at 17 you know who knows with john gruden you know uh, what they're thinking and what they're doing uh, i think christian barrymore is really in play there and they want to obviously address the free safety position because the system won't fit together unless they, they get the guy they need, whether it's Morag, Richie Grant, or Javon Holland. So they're going to be trading up from 48 with one of the picks they got from Arizona and they, their own 79 and 80 to get the, the free safety figured out. So at 17, I think they're going to either go right tackle, maybe a Tevin Jenkins or Liam Eichenberg, or Barrymore is there. Barrymore are one of the pass rushers. They've got to get better on defense. And, and you know, Mike Mayock's a Philly guy, so is Barrymore. Uh, they love those big program Alabama guys. So, you know, I think Barrymore is probably their pick. Barrymore is interesting because a lot of people are like the, the, the online pundits or, you know, they're lower on him in terms of their big board grades or whatever. But it feels like from everything I've read that the NFL world is a bit higher on him, especially as you mentioned, there's upside. He's, he reminds you a little bit of like a poor man's Quentin, um, Quentin Williams, who was the guy that the tra- Jets drafted number three a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. But they reminds you a lot of him in, in a way, um, and uh, and yeah, like there's just a ton of talent that he could still kind of that he's still scratching the surface on. Um, finally, the last question I'll ask it, you: It doesn't hurt that the ahead. Alabama guys playing in DC also are pretty damn good. So. Yeah, right. You know, I think yeah, I think uh, everybody wants the next Quinn Williams, but you know, if he's the next, you know, kind of mix of Jerron Payne and Jonathan Allen, I think a lot of teams would take that. We'll take that for sure. Um, Last guy I want to ask you about, not to say a team, but although he is kind of a little bit tied to a team, if you will, um, Caleb Farley from Virginia Tech. He was a guy who many people had in the, in their, on their big boards in like the top five or 10 picks um, or top five or 10 players. Medicals came out, you know, the back surgery, that's kind of scary stuff. Regardless, of course, the narrative is that he's going to be fine by the start of the season or well before, but that could potentially drop him into the late teens, if not early 20s. Do you think even further than that? Or what are you hearing on him? And what do you think uh, in terms of how that should pan out or how that could pan out? Yeah, there's two guys that opted out of the season, Sean Slater and Caleb Farley, who could have been eligible for last year's draft, didn't put together. There's no more tape on those guys, right? So for Caleb Farley to be, you know, last year to go back to school because he says, I'm not going to go in the first round. And you see a guy like, you know, the Raiders took the uh, Ohio State Clowns going, you know, 17th or 18th overall uh, name is Gason right now. If he wasn't confident that he was in, you know, he's represented by Drew Rosenhaus, and obviously, you know, he probably chose him long before last draft. Uh, if they weren't confident he was still in the first round next year, what last year, what makes him, you know, this lock to go in the top five a year later with no new tape? So, you know, I think the narrative on him was driven a lot by Daniel Jeremiah, who obviously loves the player. And, you know, he, he it just seems like it got really overhyped to me. Um, he's a converted wide receiver, pretty, you know, limited experience in the position, might require some time. 
And the last four or five drafts, we've seen corners have had trouble transitioning to the NFL, including last year's group with Akuda, C.J. Henderson. And so you know, I, I think the corner position, you know, besides Sertain, there's no guy you say, yeah, he's coming in, he's going to be a very good starter for us year one. And I never felt that way about Farley. So I think the team's picking at the end of the, end of the uh, top of second round, excuse me, team like the Eagles who need a corner. If they don't get one at 12, they're probably going to be sitting there thinking to themselves, we've got to get ahead of the Saints. Maybe we trade back into the second round. And, you know, it'd be a team that, I guess, you know, can afford to, you know, maybe have to register them for the first six or eight weeks, you know, one of those rebuilding teams. So you know, I see them going somewhere between 23 and 28. That makes sense. Do you, you mentioned Sertan. I want to kind of let, well, let's get your thoughts on this one. Um, do you, do you have Sertan, like objectively speaking, ahead of J.C. Horn? Because J.C. Horn in my eyes is kind of catching up if, to CB1 status in my, in my head. Yeah, I'll be the first to admit that I'm probably pretty terrible at evaluating the cornerback position. But uh, I, I've watched a lot of Patrick Sertain cut-ups, you know, the full films where even when he's not involved and how you play on the ball, and he's a really good, polished corner right away. Yeah. Uh, all the physical skill set, he, he's a very good corner. I like him more than I like Akuda and C.J. Henderson. I think he's a top eight player in the draft. And I don't like taking corners high because I think they take so long to develop. But this kid's going to be very good year one. J.C. Horn has got the physical profile that teams love with the 30 plays on, big size. But he's grabby, right? And, and in college, you can get away with that. And we saw Kuda do that at, uh, at Ohio, State. Ohio State or Trayvon Mullen with the Raiders. You can be grabby in college and the refs won't call it. In the NFL, it's a flag every time. So I think J.C. Horn is going to take a little bit more time to develop and he could end up being very similar to Okuda or a C.J. Henderson, where you know he's not even a replacement level corner his rookie year. That's an interesting perspective, and he is grabby. There's there's even instances on tape where he 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 does does draw a lot of flags. So I can I can definitely vouch for what you're saying. Um, final question, and I'll get you out on this. Ton of great information, but um, any team that we haven't talked about or we have talked about, and that's cool too. That you feel like could really shake things up. That um, maybe the national narrative is not kind of discussing enough. You know. I think the Patriots, I think the Broncos could pass on quarterbacks and not find a partner to trade down, which would just be the ultimate kind of endorsement of Drew Locke. And I think that would get a lot of you know, abuse around them. Uh, I think Dallas could surprise some people at 10. Certain's like, you know, pretty much a lock. Everyone thinks to go there given their needs at corner. But I think they could take an offensive lineman in the sense that they, they really need to start rebuilding that group. They waited too long the last time and they really, you know, let it basically deteriorate into not even a workable unit. And I think Aziz, Vera Tucker from USC, yeah. I think he's going to, teams are going to say he's just a zone based guard. I think he's going to get down to the end of the first round, and there's going to be teams that are like Dallas and 44. They're going to try to trade up for him. So I think he's going to be an interesting player to watch. And you know, I think this Davis Mills conversation is really interesting just to see where he ends up going. And, you know, I could see like Tampa Bay doing something crazy where, you know, if he gets to the top of the third round, they offer like their their first round pick in 2023, and you know, fifth to a team like the Eagles, who seems hell bent on just accumulating picks to chase you know, Russell Wilson or something next year. So I think Davis Mills is really one of the fascinating storylines of the draft. He's been generating some buzz lately. That's a. It's funny you mentioned him. That that name has crept up quite a bit, but. Um, Chad, amazing information. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Um, again, for everyone listening, it's at NFL uh, at NFL. Sorry, NFL Draft Bites, correct? That's me. Awesome. Give me a follow right. on Twitter. And uh, I appreciate you saying that I, I engage my audience. That's always my goal. For sure, man. For and sure. Thanks, Thank thanks. you. Thanks for your time. It was great. Likewise. Likewise, Matt. All right. You have a good evening. All right. Take care, buddy.
Thank you for listening to the Hail to the District podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts.